and that he will open their eyes and give them eternal life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1. We're going to be in chapter 3 today, but I want to start with chapter 1. Uh, these are verses that we have gone over a month or so ago. Verse 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So, the Bible says that we should confess our sins one to another. Uh, so my question for you today, you don't have to answer it out loud, obviously. Well, I don't think it's necessary for you to confess to me or to one another all the dirty details of your life. That should be reserved for God. But we do need to confess to one another that we struggle with sin. Uh, if you're struggling with sin at all, would you say, list a little amen for me? Yeah, we struggle uh, with sin. And if we say we have no sin, the Bible actually says you deceive yourselves. But look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So when we talk about sin, we have the Bible as our guideline and our truth about sin. There's a lot of opinions about what is sin and what is not sin. There's a lot of uh, uh, different teachings out there about whether or not we still have sin or don't have sin, and whether or not after you become a Christian and you sin, does now your salvation get taken away? There's all kinds of different things. So we'll rely on the scripture today. So what have we learned? We've learned so far that you're a sinner. And if you say you're not, you're a liar. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we have all sinned. We also know that the wages of this sin or the payment for sin is death. But God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, what happened? Christ dies for us. And we know that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So if you have gone to God through Jesus Christ... And said to him, I confess that you are Lord, and I believe in my heart that you've risen from the dead. Please forgive me of my sins. Your sins are forgiven. They have been washed away by the blood of Christ, and he has made you white as snow. So when God sees you now, he no longer sees you as that wretch. He sees you as his son or his daughter, adopted, as we talked about last week, into the family of God. However, do we still sin? So there is a position that you are in Christ. Your position in Christ is that you are saved. You are cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ. However, we are still in this body of flesh. 
and in my flesh dwells no good thing. So that brings us to 1 John chapter 3. We talked last week about the manner of love. And that last song we sang was beautiful, that, that my sin was upon his shoulders. And God took my sins to the cross. And when he died on the cross, he who knew no sin paid the penalty. And now we have the right to be called the children of God. Do you remember that from last week? Adopted into the family of God. And the Bible says our destiny in chapter 2 of first, uh, verse 2 of chapter 3, that we will someday be like him. We're not there yet, which means there's still sin within these bones and within these flesh. We all understand that, right? We're all sinners. Our sins have been forgiven, paid for on the cross. And until we get to heaven, we're still going to struggle with this flesh. But we are still forgiven. And verse 3 says, everyone who has this hope, what hope? The hope that we will someday be glorified with Christ in heaven. The Bible says in Titus 2.13 that we look forward to the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a hope in the future that I can do away with this body of sin. You know, Ray has been sharing great testimonies about her new body that has cancer-free. And that cancer ravaged her body, and she went through the process to get rid of it. And the prayer is that it doesn't return. Well, sin is a cancer. Have you noticed that? It's a it, it's spiritual cancer. We understand that we've even seen that, that our own personal sins, it's never satisfied. It wants more. It desires more. It starts small, and then we quench the Holy Spirit, and it gets worse and worse and worse. Well, we look forward to the day when we are in heaven, and when our body, spiritual body, is scanned in heaven, it's going to find no sin. Can you believe that? It's incredible. That's our hope. But look what this verse says. Everyone who has this hope, the hope of eternal life, the hope of a sinless body, purifies himself just as he is pure. And this is what we're going to talk about today. There's a verse in the Bible that says, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, God knows. Remember that verse? John and one of the proofs of your salvation is your desire to be pure it's your desire to be holy your hatred for sin the Bible says in John 3 that Jesus had not come to the world to condemn the world that the world through him might be saved but that men reject the light because men prefer what? Darkness rather than light. Have you noticed how the world just runs to sin? They love it. You look at 2020 and you look at, you know, Liz and I, we, we were trying to watch a Christian movie the other day. 
And we read some things about it, and it was a Christian movie. Sounds interesting. We'll watch this Christian movie. And we couldn't watch it. In five minutes, we heard the F word four times. We just couldn't do it. Can't do it. And we are... Just think about your friends and family and ask yourself, can they enjoy themselves without alcohol? And the world can't do it. Got to be drunk. Got to be drunk. We run to sin. That should not be the character of a Christian. We change. A Christian wants to purify himself. A Christian gets to the point where I just can't stand the sin. I want to be done with it. I want to get rid of it. It bothers me. The Bible says that what God wants is a broken and contrite heart. So when we're talking about a Christian and his relationship with sin, here's what changes. I am a sinner. Not feeling guilty, not really being convicted. I become a Christian and I want to be like Christ. And I begin to struggle between the flesh and the Spirit, Say that. I struggle with the flesh and the spirit. It's a struggle that didn't exist before you were a Christian. And if it doesn't exist after you're a Christian, you have to reevaluate your salvation and your relationship with God. If you're a, a Christian and have no guilt when you sin, that's a problem. It's a problem. Turn, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just to give you some verses that back up this point and make it a little clearer, because we're going to get into some verses in a second that are going to really challenge you. And I want to try to do my best to use Scripture to, to, to bear this out. Second Corinthians chapter 5, uh, look at verse 17. If anyone... Is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. So, this verse tells us that when you become a Christian, you're changed. And it's not an option. You're a new creature. And, and there's nothing you can do to stop that change from happening. Because you've lived a life without the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit indwells within you. So it's impossible not to be a different person. But look at verse 18. What changes? Look at the first part of verse 18. What does it say? Now all things are of God. I, I've been obsessed with God since the day I was saved. It's like everything is about God. And so... I don't, and, and I'm, I'm, this is not a judgmental statement. It is a honest statement that I don't understand because I don't know how it works with you. But I don't understand the up and down kind of part-time Christianity of, yeah, God's okay. I go to church Easter and I go to Christmas because I love God. and I don't understand that. Because that's not what happened to me. Everything became about God the moment I, I found out that he was Lord and he revealed it to me. So what I know from the Bible is it says when you are a Christian, you're a different person. 
So I don't understand Christians that don't change. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Um, now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and given us a ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So what is reconciliation? What does it mean to reconcile with somebody? In order to reconcile, there must have been some type of a disagreement, some type of a problem. Um, Liz and I are going through the, the need to reconcile with some people, and we don't really know how to do it. They don't want to rec- if you don't, people don't want to reconcile, it's hard. But reconciliation, there has to be something that separates you. So we are separated from God by what? Sin. The first thing Adam and Eve did when they took the fruit is they hid from God. The word death means separation. The wages of sin is death. We're separated from God by our sins. But Jesus, who died on the sin and was buried and then rose again the third day without them, he is the method of reconciliation. When we go to Jesus Christ and say, God, forgive me through your son. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. I give my life to you as my Lord and my Savior. Then God says, great, I wash your sins away, and we're back where we were, back in fellowship. And God says, I no longer impute their trespasses to them. In other words, I no longer count them having to pay for their sins. It's gone. The payment for sin has been made. And so now we have the word of reconciliation, which means what? Verse 20. Now we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. That's why we're here this morning. I'm going to beg you and implore you. As if God himself was speaking through me. And if I'm reading John 3.16, guess what? God is speaking through me. It's his words. I'm just reading them. That you are to come to Christ. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm I'm asking you and begging you and imploring you. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so we're new creatures. So dogs return to their vomit, the Bible says. And we who are surface Christians or, or just kind of doing it because it's we like the fellowship, we love the music, we like talking to people about, you know, and having family and people can help us. That That's great, but it won't last. But when you are truly born again, I just don't see how it fades. I don't see how it goes away. And I don't see how you will not have a desire to be like Christ. Back to 1 John chapter 3. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You got to prune things in your life. You got to get rid of some things. You can't do things you used to do. Okay? If you used to party, the Bible says, be not drunk. If you used to sleep around, the Bible says, thou shalt not commit adultery. If you used to lie, the Bible says, thou shalt not lie. And those things will now bother you. And you'll want to change them. They may be difficult to get rid of. They may hang on. But you want to be pure. 
The Bible says add to your faith virtue. So once you have that faith, what you want to add to is to start to live a more righteous life. Verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. For sin is lawlessness. Galatians 2.20 is on your paper. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Don't you think you'd be different if Christ really lived within you? Wouldn't there be a change? I remember when I became a Christian, um, I had uh, quite a filthy mouth. I was you know, 19 years old and my mouth wasn't clean, and but it didn't bother me. It didn't bother me hanging around my friends, dropping four-letter words. It didn't wasn't a big deal. Uh, but it was after I became a Christian, and nobody had to tell me. All of a sudden, I used a dirty word, and it's like, ooh, I shouldn't say that. Where'd that come from? I was a new creature. There was something within me that was now convicting myself of what was wrong. That was the Holy Spirit. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Bible says the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin. And so Christ lives in me. And sin is lawlessness. So what is lawlessness? It's breaking the law. Well, who gets to determine what the law is? God does. The Bible says the law is a school teacher teaching us that we need God because we are unrighteous. For example, thou shalt not commit adultery. Whose law is that? It's God's law. One of the commandments. So we know it's wrong to commit adultery. Even the world kind of accepts that. They get mad when they're partner cheats on them whether they're married or not so they understand that it's evil well then jesus says if you even look right at a woman in the wrong manner you have committed adultery see we that's not a law we go by we say yeah adultery is wrong and then some guy elbows his friend and says yeah but it ain't a sin to look you ever heard that one guess what only if we're going by God's law. Do you see? So sin is lawlessness. So who gets to determine what the law is? Well, God does. The Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Psalm 1, verse 2. And in his law does he meditate day and night. So as a Christian, you take delight in the law of the Lord. It's the law of God to love your enemy. Did you hear what I said? It's the law of God to love your enemy. Why is it the... Well, that's not one of the Ten Commandments. No, it's not. Well, it's just a recommendation, but no, it's not. If God says love your enemy, it automatically becomes the law. The Bible says in Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I don't know what's right and wrong, but God's law teaches me what's right and wrong. Loving my enemy, that's not something I would consider doing. 
I wouldn't. I'm a grudge holder, and I, I'm easily offended, and all those little weak things that I am. And I'm supposed to love my enemy. If they're hungry, I'm supposed to do what? Watch them starve because it's going to be fun. No, I'm supposed to... <laughs> I'm supposed to feed them. I'm supposed to do those things. The Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. That's not what I was taught. My mother taught me to stick up for myself. Don't let people talk to you like that. Don't let people put you down. You stop it. They're coming after you. You go after them. And I saw my mom do it my whole life. You didn't cross her. She was from the Bronx, York. You didn't cross her. And she very rarely gave a soft answer. Whose law am I going to follow? Do you see? The Bible says that we have been given a purpose before the foundations of the world and that we were formed by God before we were in our mother's womb. That makes abortion wrong. We say... Eh, my body, my choice. That's man's law, do you see? Sin is lawlessness, and the law is whatever God says the law is. And you can rationalize and figure it out why it's okay, but we just got to look at the word and do what God says. That's what sin is. Well, by that standard, what's that make us all? We're all sinners. Verse 4, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. Verse 5, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. So if if the law is the standard, all have sinned and come short of the what? So if God's the standard, then we're all what? Short. And I don't care if, and it's like this. Here's you and here's God. And between you and God is a chasm. And in this chasm is hell. And no matter how holy you are, you're never going to be God. So whether you fall an inch short or a mile short, it's still hell. And the only way that this can be taken care of is through the cross of Christ that is the bridge across that chasm. He is the one who was manifested. God gave us his only begotten son that we might have eternal life. But the way to that eternal life is to repent. Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized. Or repent and be washed of your sins. That's important. I heard someone say this the other day. That the repentance is, re means to go back, and pent means penthouse. And so to become a Christian, go back to that penthouse where Christ is and just dwell with him. What does that mean? That's not what repent means. Repent means that I'm going the wrong direction. I hate my enemy. I'm going to love my enemy. All right? Parents, we've all had this conversation. If you have more than one child, you've had this conversation. Tell your sibling you're sorry. Sorry. No. Tell them like you mean it. I'm sorry. We know they don't mean it. We go to God that way. We tell them we're sorry and then just continue living in the sin. Ah, I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry, God. I just can't. No, repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn around in God. We'll have blessed that. Verse 5. Verse 6. 
Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins is neither seen him or known him. Now we're going to look at this a couple different ways. On your paper, I have 1 John 3, 6 from the NIV. The NIV says, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now the word in that verse, whoever abides in him does not sin. It's the Greek word uh, hamortano. Hamortano. And it's, the reason why this is important, that the word for sin there is to continue living in a sin. We're all going to sin. And so if the Bible says, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar, and then two chapters later it says, whoever abides in him does not sin, I know some have taken this verse to mean if you're a Christian, you'll never sin. A Christian never sins. Well, that would go against other scriptures, wouldn't it? But I will tell you a Christian will never feel comfortable just living a life of sin. You won't be able to do it. And if you can live in sin without having any problem with it, you can cheat on your wife and it's no big deal. If you can look in pornography all day and it doesn't bother you, then there's, there's a disconnect between you and God. But as a Christian, you may fall into sin, but it's going to grip you because the Holy Spirit lives within you. It's going to bother you. If it doesn't bother you, I would encourage you to reevaluate your relationship with Christ. There's a disconnect there. Whoever abides in him does not sin. The other thing is, is, you know, I told you that I, I when I was younger I had a little problem with bad language. I'm 60 years old right now, and it's been days since I thought of a bad word. Hours since maybe I've used one. Depending if I'm watching sports or not. Or golfing, Dave, right? But I, I don't think I've ever cussed behind the pulpit preaching a sermon. Here I'm abiding in the Lord. I'm focused on Him. I'm looking at His Word. When I'm abiding with God, I don't have a desire to sin. When I get away from Him, do you see what I'm saying? If we abide in Christ, we do not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Look at the right sin and righteousness. Quit letting the world tell you what's right and wrong. Well, I don't think it's wrong for a man to marry a man. I think everybody should just do whatever they want. And if you're in love, then it's because God loves everybody. Therefore, because God loves everybody, well, yes. But the Bible still says that it is an abomination for a man to lie with a man. We are not allowed to take what God says is wrong and call it right and take what God says is right and say it's wrong. We're not allowed to do that. We all understand that. This is not a negotiation where we all get together as human beings, and that's what happens. We have, like, uh, Baptist conventions where they get together to decide whether or not, and they vote on whether or not this part of the Bible should be accepted or not accepted. The United Methodist Church just split over the idea of, of homosexuality, and now this side is going to say it's wrong, and this side is going to say it's right. Righteousness is not a majority rules. 
We live under a theocracy. That's the government of the Bible. What's a theocracy? Do you know what it means? God rules. And if he says, thus saith the Lord, it's wrong. And we're not allowed to change it. And we do across the board. But remember, men love darkness rather than light. So if I can get somebody with a fancy collar to tell me it's okay to live in sin, I'll certainly do it. And I'll do it under the name of Christ. Shame on you. The Bible says in Revelation there was a problem in a couple churches with a group called Nicolaitans. And in those verses, God would tell them to, to put out the Nicolaitans. And the Nicolaitans, if you study the history, they were simply people who believed that it was religious to be sensual, religious to live in sin. And we know that through the Bible, you have groups of people who would offer their children in a sacrifice to false gods. Do we do it today? Absolutely. It's called abortion. We have a lady standing up saying, thank you for this award. I wouldn't have got it if I didn't commit abortion when I was younger because my acting career exploded at that time. And if I had a baby, it wouldn't have went. So I thank God that I had an abortion or I'm thankful for my abortion. Of course, the crowd was appalled by that. What weren't they? What'd they do? Standing ovation. My body, my choice. It's a theocracy. It's not your body. And that child is not yours. It belongs to God. It's his creation. Christians, don't fall on the wrong side of righteousness. If God says it's right, it's right. If God says it's wrong, it's wrong. Well, you're a hypocrite. Yeah, you're right. Well, I'm not a hypocrite. Do I sin? Yes. So who am I up here telling you not to sin while I sin? Because what is the definition of a Christian? A Christian is a sinner who has been saved from their sins, who live in the spirit and the flesh. I'm telling you exactly who I am. God is not a hypocrite. God says it's wrong. I might do it, but it's still wrong. Does that make sense? All right, I'm not the measuring stick at all. God is. Look at verse 8. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And the works of the devil are destroyed in a place called hell. And if you decide that you would rather sin then give your life to Christ, then you have to be destroyed along with Satan. This old lie of, oh, I can't follow a God who would send people to hell. He doesn't. Remember, God did not come to condemn the world, but that world through him might be what? Saved. If he came and gave his only begotten son and you say, I don't want it, then God says, then you are not for me, you are against me. Either he has the son hath life, he that has not the son hath not life. There's two sides. God and the devil, righteousness and sin. There's no middle ground where you can just kind of float around and be here and I don't have to I can still live my sinful life and still go to heaven. That doesn't work that way. If you sin, then you have been deceived and manipulated by the devil the same way Eve was in the Garden of Eden. It's no different. It's a spiritual war. The Bible says that you need to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the what? Wiles of the devil. Devil. We as 
Christians will struggle with this. We'll talk about that in a second. Look at verse 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Same word, hamortano, which is will not continue in sin without being bothered by it. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. His seed remains in him. That is the Holy Spirit, the seed of God. We've been talking about this. If the Holy Spirit remains in you, there's no way you're going to continually be sinning without feeling some type of conviction and need to repent. Does that make sense? It's what the Bible teaches so clearly. He cannot sin because he's been born of God. So let's read a couple more passages of Scripture. Turn, if you will, to uh, Romans chapter 6. The Bible calls David a man after his own heart. When David committed adultery, lied about it, and then had the husband of Bathsheba murdered, and when he was come face to face with his sin, he wrote Psalm 51 in which he says, My sin is ever before me. Against you, God, only have I sinned. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And you could read that chapter and see the conviction in his voice. And the heartache that he had sinned against God. That is the broken and contrite heart God is looking for. Sinning is going to happen. How you respond to that sin is the measuring stick of your relationship with God. If you don't care and you continue in it, that's an issue. If it breaks your heart and you want forgiveness and God to take it away from you, that's a sign of the Holy Spirit. Look what it says in verse six, uh, chapter 6, verse 1 of Romans. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So God just gave this beautiful teaching that where sin reigns, grace outreigns it. You can never sin enough for God to take away your salvation. God promises you everlasting life. So, we will sin. And you might say to God, well, if there's no consequences and my sins are forgiven, then I'll just keep sinning. And then I can just keep getting grace. And so God answers that question in this chapter. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2, certainly not. Old King James says, God forbid. God won't allow it to happen. It can't happen if the Holy Spirit indwells you. Now, we can certainly quench the Holy Spirit, but you're not going to get rid of it. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Don't you know as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And that word baptized there is the spiritual baptism of having your sins washed away. Remember, physical baptism, when you go into the water... That's a picture of the baptism that's already happened. The washing away of your sins. It's just a physical picture. Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even though we should walk in what? Newness of life. If my sins have truly been washed away by the blood of Christ, I am a new creature. For if we've been united together in the likeness of death, 
certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, and we should no longer be what? Slaves to sin. I was a slave to my temper when I was younger, and I was a slave to depression. I still have some depression, and I still have times of anger, but I'm not a slave to them. I, 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 talk to, I was talking to somebody about this one time, and they said, well, I've never seen you angry. I feel like I'm angry all the time. Because when I get angry, it bothers me so much I feel depressed about it now for days because I'm not living the way I should be living. It bothers me. I hate that temper part of me. I'm a baby. It's, it's, you should have seen me last week when the saints lost. It's terrible. I gotta grow up. Why can't I grow up? But I'm not a slave to it. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we should also, what? Live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For death that he died, he died once and for all, that the life he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, just as Jesus rose from the dead, likewise, we should reckon ourselves to be dead, but alive to God. So when a Christian or a person becomes a Christian, that old person is supposed to be gone. That person that struggled with these things, that person that, that was enslaved to the sins. Do you notice how sin becomes addictive? I'm addicted to pornography. I'm addicted to alcohol. I'm addicted. We don't get addicted to being nice to people. I just can't stop being nice to people. I can't stop eating broccoli. I gotta go to Broccoli Anonymous. I gotta go. My name is John Flanagan. I keep eating broccoli. No, we are addicted to the things that are hurtful to us, that are sinful. And God says, I'll let you break free from that. Verse 12 Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. That's the key. It's not that you're not gonna sin. But God says sin does not need to have reign in you anymore. It doesn't need to control you. It doesn't need to enslave you. And then verse 12 and 13 give the greatest encouragement to those of you who struggle with sin on how to get rid of it. Look what it says. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Verse 13. And do not present your members, that's your body parts, as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You have a choice as a new creature in Christ. You have instruments, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your hands. They could be used to do righteous work for God's glory. But if you do nothing, Somebody once said, what, idleness is the what? Devil's playground. If you decide to do nothing for God, you will eventually fall back into sin. It's just human nature. Get up, get your body and your instruments and your mouth doing something positive for Christ. If you're struggling with sin, 
get in some type of ministry. Come on a Saturday and, and pass out food and, and, and do something. Work with kids. Do whatever you are. Uh, have a gift to do. If you're not busy working for God, you, we just know how it works when we're sitting around doing nothing. Our mind gets away from us. And look at verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under the law, but under grace. Here's the problem. Here's the mantra of modern day Christianity. I'm not getting anything out of the message. I'm just working on myself. I have to get my life together. If I get my life together, then it's... No, well, you're together. Your sins have been washed away. You're nobody's going to pluck you out of the Father's hand. So now, break free from all that stuff and go help other people. Become an ambassador for Christ. Pleading the words of reconciliation. You'll be surprised how little you struggle with those things you're struggling with now when you sit at home trying to get your life right before you can go do anything for God. It's the opposite. You've been made right through the blood of Christ. So look, if you will, we'll close with Psalm seven, uh, Romans 7, same chapter. This is Paul speaking again. And he describes this beautiful, verse 14 of Romans 7. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. So here's Paul's attitude. Whatever God says, I know, is spiritual and right. What I think, ugh, sinful. For what I'm doing, I don't even understand. What I want to do, I don't practice. But what I hate to do, that I do. Sound familiar? Any of you would like to stop some things, but you just keep popping up? If then I do what I don't want to do, I agree the law is good. All right? So somebody comes... And they say something to me, and I scream back at them, and I immediately feel guilty. Driving in a car one day, a guy cut me off, and I called him a name by myself in my mind. I immediately asked forgiveness for God. Oh, God, forgive me. I shouldn't think that about him. All by myself. Whose law did I break? I didn't beat my horn. I didn't go after the guy. I just thought a bad word. He's a, you bad little driver, you not what I said, but you know. But I immediately ask God for forgiveness. Why? Because I agree that he's right and I am wrong. Verse 16, or verse 17, but now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For the will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I don't find. For the good I want to do, I don't do. But the evil I won't want to do, that I practice. Verse 19, does that sound familiar? This wrestling with the flesh and the spirit. We all want to do. If you're a Christian, you have a desire to do right. And if you don't have that desire, you're not a Christian. Because it can't. Ex the Holy Spirit can't exist without convicting you of those things. So we're talking to two people today. Those who have no desire to do right, you need to become, uh, give your life to Christ as Lord and Savior. And on this side, those who desire to do right but are struggling with it, then you're just like the Apostle Paul. So he has an answer, by the way. Verse 20. If I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. 
I find a law, verse 21, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. I'm just looking at my body, and I know that I really want to do what's right, and I'm struggling. But I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, and that's me, and I think it's you, that there's that part of you deep within the inward man that wishes they could be the great person of God that I want to be. But I see another law in my members, verse 23, warring against the law of my mind. Warring against the what? Everybody say it. The law of my mind. Say it with me. The law of my mind. God, He says, in my mind, I know what I'm supposed to do. We have things like, oh, you know, I know it's wrong, but my heart says yes, yes, yes. My mind says no, 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 but my heart says yes, yes, yes. And we are told ten times a day to follow your heart. And the Bible says the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things, Jeremiah 17, 9. This is why sin is rampant in the United States, because people just do whatever they feel like doing. Whatever they feel like doing. I feel like killing my baby, I'm killing my baby. I feel like I'm a boy, and I'm going, God made me a girl, I'll become a boy. I'll just do whatever I feel like doing. And we mantra that, and it's wrong. The Bible says that I, as a Christian, wrestle with what I know is right, but how many times do I get in trouble because they just do whatever I feel? If you come at me right here, I have to give a soft answer. Do I feel like giving you a soft answer? No. I feel like punching you in the nose. Answer me this question, not out loud. How would your life be if you just went totally on feelings 24-7? Uh, we, we, our prison ministry would expand. It would be miserable. And that's what Paul says. This is the answer. He says, I see this member's warring with the law of my mind, uh, but I delight, verse uh, 22, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. I see another law, verse 23, warring with the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity, the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? It's a pretty depressing verse. I'm a wretch. I'm never going to win this battle. Who's going to ever deliver me from this body of sin? Verse 25. Amen. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Exclamation point. So then with my mind, I serve the law of God. With my flesh, the sin. Here's you got to bring yourself every thought into subjection and start following what you know is right. We have to repent from going after our feelings and we have to follow what we know is right. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was what? Also in Christ Jesus. The Bible says, be not conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we all like sheep have gone astray. How many people in our country just follow whatever is trending, whatever is popular, whatever their favorite singer says, whatever their favorite actor says, whatever their politician says? What's right? What do I believe in now? Okay, we believe. Why do I believe this? Does it matter? Okay, I just believe. We just go like sheep. And yet we have the righteousness of God, the words of God, to tell us what's right and wrong. And we have to study it, memorize it, 
meditating on it day and night, have our delight be in the law of the Lord. In his law, we meditate day and night. And then we'll know what's right and know what's wrong. We'll still struggle with that old flesh like Paul does. But you'll see the victories increase. Does that make sense? That makes sense. All right, let's have the worship team come and we'll close. How deep the Father's love for God. And as we're closing with this, um, well, you'll be able to see from these words what we're talking about. Let's stand as we uh, they prepare and we'll have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this is a, a difficult subject to talk about, Lord, and yet it's so clear that we are going to struggle with sin. If Paul struggled with sin, then we know for sure that a Christian will not lead a sinless life. Our sins are washed away. They're under the blood of Christ. But that struggle between flesh and spirit is still constant. Lord, I pray if anyone here is not struggling at all with sin, that they would know that they need to turn to God for salvation. But those of us that do, we know that if we would just study and renew our minds, uh, Lord, we can get victory over these things. We thank you for your love and how deep your love is for us in Jesus' name. Amen. How deep the Father's love for us. Yeah.
subject that Jesus and the Bible lay out pretty clearly, but it takes a while to walk through these verses and takes a while to make sure you get the whole picture. And I, I, We went a little long, but we went long to make sure we have the whole picture. So now it's up to you. Um, if you're dealing with sin that is, is besetting and a struggle for you, um, then, then go to God and ask Him for forgiveness. Go as with a broken and contrite heart and ask Him to take it away. Ask Him to remove it. Uh, if you're struggling with something where you don't even know if God is real or not and, and your salvation is, is questioned in your mind, go to God right now and just tell Him that you trust in Him, that you believe in Him. The Bible says if you confess your sins, He's always faithful and just to forgive you. Let's just take a, a few seconds and, and to for you to talk to God personally. Father, you've heard the prayers that will continue uh, from your children today, Lord. And, and if there's anyone here who still does not know you, God, that you would continue through your Holy Spirit to draw them, to work on their hearts and minds, Lord, until they surrender to you. Uh, Lord, for those of us who are your children, but the Lord still struggle the same way Paul did, Lord, help us and guide us and direct us and convict us, Lord, uh, that we might uh, be broken for you and ready to serve others and show them the, the amazing words of reconciliation that they have, forgiveness available through the blood of Christ. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Deacons will meet back where the uh, copy machine is right after church. Right now we'll go have a short meeting. All of our deacons, if you would go there at this point.